0: two three one two three one testing 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 one two three so um just gave you last week's or, or next week's lottery numbers there guys on facebook um yeah i messed up saying last week's yeah next. is the sound working now don't worry lorena there's no one on facebook anyway um what is you but um uh, oh it's, it's working now is it okay there you go well uh or just for that i'm going to blur the virtual background oh i shouldn't do that oh god oh i have to pay choose a plan okay <laughs> to pay for another plan if i want a virtual background okay moving on bobby can hear it yeah bobby you're on instagram um facebook was um not working i'll tell you why it wasn't working around because of this top of the range microphone i got on a on a what's it called boom wasn't working i'm actually on the microphone on the on webcam which is as good as any to be honest So that's a bit of scrap metal there um anyway glad it's working now thanks for pointing that out could have been potentially disastrous uh, honestly the uh facebook community would have been up in arms so uh anyway crisis averted and we can move on um yeah what i was saying is i think rhinoplasty is is quite a specialist thing really and i think uh if you are having a rhino plug it's really crackly all right love give me a break will you it's really crackly what what am i i sound engineer um what about, what do you want me to do plug it oh, i'll get the blanket off what? well i don't know those? oh my neck. i dropped instagram now um it's crackly Oh. um here we go what about this no what hd all these microphones to choose from um two one two one two one two uh i can't i can't help you i can't i don't know how to resolution should i change the resolution play test Oh, there you go. Test sound. Oh, I'm freezing without the blanket. I tell you. Oh, blanket's not a <laughs> Um, I don't know, Lorena. I don't know what to say. Um, I mean, we've got sound. What more do you want? You want non-crackly sound, do you? Um. Well, listen. If you want non-crackly sound, you come to the wrong place, my friend. Okay. You want crackly sound? I can do that for you. Non-crackly. It ain't here okay you have to go to a, an influencer who's got a proper microphone and uh, the audio abilities all right so um, quite frankly this is the uh, uh, this is the Aldi of, of live broadcasts okay you want Waitrose? go elsewhere um, maybe I'll get another microphone one day. But not today so this is all we got I'm just gonna I'm just gonna crack on as it were and I'm gonna assume that uh, it's acceptable um, and if it's not acceptable I apologize profusely and I'll try and do something next by next week I'll get my um, I'll get my audio team to look at it but uh, anyway we're just gonna crack on because others are gonna be all night quite frankly so do we offer rhinoplasties a question uh, on the table and the answer to that question quite simply no because um i don't do faces at all i don't do any faces um in terms of facelifts and and uh what have you but um but what i was saying is rhinoplasty is something that a very long time ago i decided i'm not going to do it's it's difficult basically um and it's something that really you want someone who does a lot of um and plastic surgeons will uh, often do a breadth of work, so you'll often find plastic surgeons who will do faces and tummies and and uh, and um, eyes and breasts and they might be doing hands in the NHS or burns in the NHS and they'll be doing a, a, a breadth of work. Um, but uh, it is becoming more specialised. I'm uh, for ten, no, yeah, 10, no, fifteen years. Probably, yeah, at least fifteen years. I think as a consultant, have, have basically done done breast. Uh, no one really specialises just in body, so breast and body sort of goes together. So um, that that's been my my focus for the last uh, fifteen years. And uh, uh, and as I say, so a long time ago. of before then i decided i wasn't going to do rhinoplasties and i think if you are going to have a rhinoplasty you need someone really who specializes it really i think i think it's a it's a very difficult um it's not so much to i've always said there's no such thing as a difficult operation to be honest with you there's only an operation you don't know how to do and um you know but the thing about rhinoplasty is a it's very visible it's right there and b it's very subtle changes can have dramatic differences and <clears throat> it's one of those ones where if you do too much, much, bit like liposuction, you do too much. You've gone too far. It's sort of hard to come back from. So um, it's it's a it's it's a vocation, I think, parties and uh, I think I, I think people who do it sort of love it because it's 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 quite nice. It's quite it's quite obviously very superficial surgery, very immediate results, quite satisfying how you can uh, how you can change the shape of the nose and what you can do to the nose but it's not something that I have got into. And uh, so um, if you want a linoplasty, I man. Uh man. Now there's reason, there's a one with a, oh, hello, We have got a question. Do you have a BMI limit to have a tummy tuck? Thank you very much for the question. Very, very nice. Um, well, n- uh, guide. I'd say um, rather than a limit, we've got a guide uh, um, BMI for tummy tuck. So, some places will say you've got to be this BMI and they won't even see you. You know, 30 is the normal. Some people are 27. They're like, don't even come into my door unless you've got a BMI 27 or 30 or whatever. And the reason for that is because you're going to get a better result if your BMI is below 30. I don't think that is in doubt. Uh, That's you know, there there is evidence. There is there are studies which said you're going to you're going to have a uh, less risk of complications, and also you're going to get a better result because globally, if you're if you're carrying extra weight, you're still going to be globally carrying extra weight. When you have a tummy tuck, it just really addresses the tummy, and so it doesn't address you globally. So as a rule if you can get your bmi down if you can get your weight down then that is a good thing no question at all so that's factual to be honest with you that's factual whatever your bmi is even if your bmi is above 30. so uh you can have a bmi above 30 and it would still be if you want to lose weight then better off doing that before surgery so that's a given you're better off losing weight before surgery if you um want to lose weight so that's the main thing so that's why it's a guide because some people are quite happy have bmis over 30 and are quite happy particularly people who've lost a lot of weight you have these bmis people used to be about 45 and they've got it down to 32 you know it's a massive bmi drop they've lost a huge amount of weight so i find it's a little bit harsh to say oh 32 is a bit too high i'm not going to see you so i will have a discussion with people who have got bmis above 30. now if you're asking the question uh i will no doubts you know no question say that it will be better to uh Get your BMI down, no question at all. But uh, if you are happy, if you stalled, some people are never going to get a BMI below 30. I will have a talk. Uh, I will talk to you. We can wrap about it. We can talk about the pros and cons. Um, I'll be quite clear that you'll have a better result with less risk of complications with a lower BMI. Um, but I have done B- uh, tummy tucks on people with BMIs above 30. Let me put it like that, because some people. You're basically saying I'm not gonna. You're never gonna get a tummy tuck. Basically, if you if you if you're strict about your BMI, which and I think some surgeons justify that, and I think they can justify that. To be honest with you, I think there is something to be said for it because. Um, but but I just feel it's a bit sort of harsh on those people, other people. So um, yeah, so I would say a guide of thirty is where we are, um, but it's not a uh, strict um, criteria. It's a guide. So, how long is needed following breast reduction surgery? When can I return to work? So, I mean, the big thing, I guess, is what do you? Do? Well, the two things is one, it depends because it depends on how it heals. With with any surgery, I can give you guide um, guidance on that. But the main thing is what do you do? You know, and it, you know, I guess it's whether you're a sedentary job or whether you're an active job. Whether that means active, with lots lost driving or um, potentially lots of moving and lifting um, you know, and things like that. So, uh, let's just assume sedentary job. So if you're in a sedentary job in terms of an office based uh, an office based job, um, the first two weeks is pretty much out. Give yourself a break, give yourself some time off. So two weeks gone. Third week you'd be feeling better. Uh, I normally say three weeks for driving. Sometimes people are okay at two weeks. You've got to check with your car insurance company. They might say it's got to be a certain amount of time. So some people are okay at two weeks, but it's hard to guarantee that. And, uh, there is a big difference of people who work themselves versus people who are, who are employed, employed basically. So if you work for yourself and you can pop into work and do a bit of dabbling and then go home early if you feel ill, you'll probably be starting to go back to work after a couple of weeks um, because you, know, you, you, can, you can manage your time. If you're employed and you have to work nine to five sort of thing and they're not very flexible with that, you're probably better off waiting till you're, you're better because if you go in too soon, then they're going to say, why did she come back so soon? She's not ready. Look, she's just you know, not pulling her weight and all that sort of stuff. So um, if you're employed, I would say three weeks is probably where you're looking at for going back to work. But if you're self-employed, you'll probably be dabbling and getting back into stuff after two weeks. If you can work from home, again, after a couple of weeks, you'll probably be able to do stuff from home. Um, but in terms of driving and, and what have you, three weeks. If you are doing a manual job, if you're lifting people if you're working in a care home or if you're working in a warehouse or something, else, you know, potentially lifting boxes and what have you, um, then that's at least a month, probably six weeks before you'll be doing any lifting. So whether you'll be able to do any sort of non-manual stuff before then, that might be possible. But. Um, but that might. Um, But uh, yeah, if you do, but it's it's four to six weeks if you are doing um, manual things, manual activities. Uh, and then it's just starting to set already then. So you're still going to feel a bit uncomfortable even at four to six weeks. You're not going to be 100%. You're going to be um, still wanting to um, take it a little bit easy and just easing into it. So that's a general. Uh, guide that i give to people and it is variable amongst people sometimes you have a little bit of delayed healing sometimes you have a little bit more pain so you know it's all, it's very much a guide so you might find it all still uncomfortable at four weeks don't really want to do much and like okay well then that's and uh, you better take it easy for a bit longer so it is hard to be too specific for everybody but that's a general guide in terms of work so two weeks to are self-employed three weeks if you're if you're employed and we can give you a signal and things like that, if that's uh, helpful to you. Um, so when can you completely remove a keloid scar? Um, so can you remove a, a keloid scar completely? Um, oh, well, that's a funny way of asking a question. I normally don't remove them completely. Um, can you? Yeah, well I guess. I guess you can. And certainly when patients come with keloid scars, keloid scars are sort of red raised lumpy scars. It's an abnormal form of scarring that some people have, and some parts of the body are prone to it, and some skin types are prone to it. And they're quite difficult to treat. And when you come with a keloid scar, if you've got a big lumpy scar on your hair or wherever it is, um, you might think, why don't you just cut it up and stitch it up and then remove it completely? uh that that sounds like um quite a simple thing to do but there we tend not to do that and the reason we tend not to do that is because the reason you have a keloid scar is because of the way your body heals the way your body scars um it's it's an abnormal process within your body so it's not usually anything to do with the actual surgery that you've had as i say Uh, I say, as I say, I might not have said this, but um, sometimes if you have delayed healing, it can uh, predispose to more hypertrophic rather than keloid scarring, but but, uh, raised lumpy scarring. But um, uh, pure keloid scarring is actually a way that, uh, that your body heals. And so if we were to cut out a keloid scar and stitch it up, there's a very good chance that that scar will get keloid. And the thing about a keloid, one of the big things that differentiates a keloid from a hypertrophic scar is a keloid scar is a scar that extends out with the boundaries of the original scar. So basically you have a tiny little pinprick like a earlobe pierced or some other, or like an or a, or a, um, injection in your arm. And uh, from that pinprick comes a big, large scar. If we then cut out that scar and give you a scar that big, so if you had a pinprick and it's made a keloid that big and we give you a scar that big, then it's going to give you an even bigger, keloid so um, that that's a very risky thing to do and something we're very worried about so we therefore tend not to just cut out the scar and stitch it up if the scar is smaller and manageable you'll try other means like steroid injections pressure dressings pressure clips and um, uh, silicone um, gel or sheets but if the scars so big that you are going to need to have surgery the surgery that we tend to do is what's called intralesional excision, which means that you actually don't cut any normal skin. All of your cuts are in keloid, so you kind of take a slice of cake, you take a wedge out, you kind of debulk the keloid, so you take the big lump off, and you're stitching within keloid scar. So you're leaving a rim of keloid scar behind. So, so can you remove a keloid scar completely? You probably can, but the worry is it's going to come back bigger. So we tend not to remove keloid scars completely we tend to do intralesional excisions, which leaves a rim of keloid scar behind Then you're stitching or your stitches are in keloid and that's less likely to come back keloid. It's a risk. So we will warn you there's a risk you could get a worse keloid. So we try and avoid doing surgery on people with keloid scars at all, trying to avoid it if you can. But if you can't avoid it, an intralesial excision is the way to go. And that leaves you with a rim of keloid left behind, which we will then treat with steroids or silicone or pressure or whatever the, the other modalities, once it's into a, a smaller, more manageable um, size. So um, so that's a discussion we need to have with you if you are coming for a keloid removal, because it, uh, it often requires a course of steroid injections after the um, initial excision. So uh, what is the difference in a felt lipectomy and a fleur tummy tuck? So yeah, so basically they're both uh, uh, larger types of tummy tuck, usually for people who've had uh, significant weight loss with a significant amount of, e- amount of excess skin. Um, standard tummy tuck just gives you a scar in the in the, uh, the lower abdomen. So these are both give you extended scarring. And extended starring, scarring equals Increased risk of complications, increased cosmetic effect because of the more scarring, but more skin removed. That's how it works in plastic surgery. The uh, more skin that we remove, the more scarring we give you. So, a lot of people want kind of less scarring, and it's like um, uh, less scarring means less skin removal means less of a result. So, these are reserved for massive weight loss patients and. Um, a fleur de tummy tuck is the same as a normal tummy tuck where you take an ellipse of skin from the lower abdomen, from the belly button down to the pubic area, you take all of that skin and you, you bring it down. So you sort, sort of take out the skin in an up-down direction, which is where most of the laxity is in a, uh, in a patient who needs a tummy tuck. Now, if you've got an awful lot of spare skin, a fleur de tummy tuck will uh, combine that up-down removal with a side-to-side removal of uh, um, of skin. So that involves. So instead of just having an elliptical shape, you have an ellipse. If you can imagine an elliptical shape this way, an elliptical shape that way, where those two ellipses, ellips, ellipses, ellipsoids, um, uh, uh, sort of. Um, so if you can imagine, so that's the tummy. Yeah tummy, uh, belly button, Yeah. so normal full tummy tuck is an ellipse in the lower abdomen from the belly button, so that's the head, is it obvious the head's up here? Yeah, head's up there, maybe that's obvious, I don't know, anyway, head's up there, head's up there. Uh, so that's a normal tummy tap gives you a scar in the lower abdomen, oh god, this is hard, gives you a scar in the lower abdomen there. Um, so if you can imagine taking it in up-down direction as well as a side-to-side direction, so I'm going to kind of, I this is a helpful weight, wet, but if you can kind of imagine a side-to-side, so the same skin side-to-side as we've done up, up-down, that takes it in up-down and a side-to-side direction, so that what that gives you, is That sort of excision, so if you can imagine it, so it ends up looking like that. So that's sort of like taking it up down and side to side, which gives you so your normal tummy tuck scar is kind of down there somewhere there in the bikini line, but your fleur It's the same as a normal one, but it's got a got a, a straight line up. Right, actually. So that point and that point come down to that point to form that T junction there. So that's the tightest point now, that T-junction there, that T junction there. I've got to go up here. Yeah. Oh, God. The oh, lights all over the place in there. Can you see it on Instagram? I don't know if you can see that. What makes you decide if I breast up? Oh, good, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You see that? Anyway, so that's a belt. That's a, oh god, that's a fleur de lis. So that's a fleur de lis. So it's an up-down side-to-side. So um, that's kind of an extended form of a tummy tuck. And then a, a belt lipectomy, or a circumferential tummy tuck, goes all the way around. So it's the same as a normal tummy tuck, but it carries on going all the way around. So it goes around the back as well. So it's really for especially for the side laxity, at the side skin. Um, it really takes down that lax at the side skin but it gives a circumferential uh, scar which basically meets itself and uh is uh quite both of them have got increased risk of complications because the fleur lea has got that t junction and the circumferential has got tension on the back as well as the front uh, and the risk of turning you during theater which is um which increases your risks um so They are basically both extended forms of tummy tuck and therefore people who've lost a significant amount of weight and uh, you have to um, take on the potential for increased complications if you're going to have one of those types of tummy tuck. But they do take out more skin and give you uh, um, a a better result in the right patients. Not everyone's a candidate for it, to be honest with you. You have to have a significant amount of excess skin to justify the uh, increase of risk and scarring and what have you. Um what you got V and her VSG? What hi JJ, what makes you decide if a breast uplift needs implants or not? Please simple V and her VSG. In my life, it's simple. In patients' lives, it's not simple, but in my life it's simple. And one question you can answer that that. And I say to you, what cup size are you? and you say i'm a b or a d or a c or whatever it is you say i'm at this cup size i'm like are you happy with that cup size and if you're happy with the cup size if you're happy with the volume that you've got in a bra it's a lift no implants if you say i'm a b cup and i want to be a d cup or i'm a c cup and i want to be an e cup or whatever If you want to be a bigger cup size, it's implants. For me, implants are really good at making the breasts bigger. That's what implants do. If you don't want to be bigger, don't have implants. So that's why it's simple in my life, because that's a simple answer there. However, I then go on to show you photographs of the sort of shape you can achieve with a lift, because some people think they're gonna be quite full up there, which they are when you first have it done, but that settles. And so you have to be um, prepared for the kind of shape you're gonna get with a lift. And some people say, hold on a minute, I'm not happy with that. I want them to be fuller. I'm like, well, if you want them to be fuller, well, that's implants. So they yeah, I want them fuller, but then they're gonna have to be bigger. And uh, you have to accept that. And Some people say, okay, I'll accept that because I like the shape. So there is, there is a discussion sometimes if you'll say, hold on a minute, I don't like that shape. And then that's when you get into implants for me I'm not sure if it's worth taking on implants just for the shape I'm like well, why don't you just see how you go and you might be happy and then you could have always have implants as a later date because the lift and implants combined is a big operation with a high risk of complications so there's a lot to be said for staging it so <clears throat> if it is shape is the predominant problem then it might be worth having um just a lift and similarly if 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 size is a problem and shape's less of a problem, it might be worth having implants and seeing what they look like, and then you could have, always have a lift as a second stage. Now, if it is shape and size, then a lift and implants is is the way to go. But um, but yeah, it's um, it's really if you if you want to be bigger, I think implants are good because they do have a risk of complications and and potential for for problems in the long term. So if you can avoid implants, I would say you you should. But you have to be comfortable excuse me, with the sort of shape that you can achieve with a lift without implants, because if you're using your natural tissue, it always settles. And so that's a discussion to be had pre-op, not post-op. I often see people, not often, uh, it's not fair. I sometimes would see people who say, I've had a lift, but this other place, and it's rubbish, and I need it done again. And I have a look at it and I'm like, that's, oh, no, that's what, why, what, Uh, what can i do i can't do it again what do you mean do it again it's fine and they're like look it's all it's like droopy again i'm like no it's not droopy that's natural breast shape and um oh god oh god cancel um and um and it's it's a it's a lack of uh, a a communication pre-op because that's actually often far you know an, an acceptable result for a breast lift um because the shape does tend to settle what i would say is a natural breast shape but you have to be comfortable with that and it's always a significant improvement on the pre-op state sometimes have people have in their minds the sort of shape that implants can achieve and so that's the problem if you have that in your mind and you have a lift without implants and it's not up here it's like it's not going to be up there it's so you know you take you you can put a bra on it's up there but when you take your bra off it'll settle you've got natural breast tissue in there it settles if you want that fullness up there that's implants so that's where the um discussion has to come in if you want that kind of shape um as i say if you don't want the size i would say think about compromising on the shape um but yeah that's 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 how i decide but obviously it's a discussion with the patient because it's that they've got to be happy at the end of the day it's no good me saying oh i'm happy with that's great result and they're like oh that's terrible very patient dependent the results of this kind of game. It's all up to the patient, really, whether it's a good result or not. Uh, but thanks for that. Um, why? Hold oh, mate. We've got another question. Oh, yeah, hold on. Oh, my non surgical brain, arm lift and breast reduction lift at the same time can lift your arms after breast surgery. Minimal arm lift and upper arm lift. Do you do both surgeries? Yes, yeah, quite a common one to do together. V and her VSG arm lift and a breast reduction slash lift is quite common. Um, <clears throat> I think it's fine to have two things done together. And often it's quite good to have them ca- kind of close together um, because then that sort of releases your lower body sort of thing to have a sort of arm lift and a thigh lift is a bit, like, oh God, I'm. plus in terms of dra- draping and prepping and theater, it's quite good to have them together. So perfectly reasonable to do them together. And yes, you can lift your arms after breast surgery and you can lift your arms after arm lift, to be honest with you, in her VSG, I have dressings on, but you can lift your arms, you can move, You can. Comb your hair, brush your teeth. You know you can do stuff after breast lifts and arm lifts. Um, and yes, that's uh, uh, um, I would say is it a common complication? It's when you do combined procedure. So that's that's a, a normal. I wouldn't say it's common. The breast and the tummy is probably more common, but it's not not uncommon. How's that? It's not uncommon to do a breast lift and then an, an arm lift. That's 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 the that's what I'm looking for. It's not uncommon, that being a VSG, to do a breast and arm lift. Not uncommon at all. Um, what, why is the upper arm, chest, and back not a good place for scar? And this is um, because I, we get a lot of photos of people with their tattoos. And they say, I want my tattoo removed. And if it's in one of these places, I often say, well, it's a not, good, not, not a good place for a scar. Because um, a lot of people say plastic surgeons are brilliant because they don't leave scars now the fact of matter is a lot of the stuff we do is on the face and the face leaves good scars so this face scars well as a rule other parts of the body don't scar so well shoulder chest I really would avoid having surgery there at all if I could keloid hypertrophic scarring risk of ugly lumpy scarring so you've got to be very careful you've got to be wondering what the thing is that you're doing the surgery for in order to justify putting a scar there because there's a very high risk of a of a poor aesthetic outcome from that scar and that whatever it is that you've got could be better than having the scar there Um, so yeah shoulder and and sternum are like really high risk areas back uh, always tends to stretch always stays a bit red doesn't you know you hope that it fades in a few months but the back can stay a bit red stretch scar rather than your hairline sort of stretches like that Um, not great Upper arm, yeah, again, less so, but uh, skin's tight, um, <clears throat> obvious scarring, stretch scarring. So these areas, the, the dermis is much thicker, the skin's much thicker, there's much more of a risk of, a, of, a, of an unsatisfactory scar, and they can be a bit more obvious uh, on the, on the, basically on the trunk and the limbs, really. Um, the scarring can be a little bit more obvious than you know if you see someone who's had something done to their face for instance because the face scars does tend to scar very well so it's something to take into account particularly like a tattoo removed if you don't like the look of the tattoo we've got to be a little bit careful we don't give you a scar that you then uh, don't like the look of either so it's uh, you really want to trade one thing you don't like for another thing that you don't like is it normal to experience pain in the central abdomen, abdominal area and around the belly button after having recti diverification? so recti diverification is the muscle repair for which you do pretty routinely for a tummy tuck and the recti are the rectus abdominis muscles there's two of them uh so uh, they're the six packs muscles they go side to side either side of the belly button and they're often a little bit apart, and so you will often bring them together. Uh, so the fact they're a little bit apart is what we call the diversification or diastasis uh, of the recti, um, and so it's 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 bringing those muscles together. And so yeah, is the answer to this: they can be un- it can be uncomfortable bringing them together, and sometimes it can be uncomfortable up up sort of towards your uh, rib cage. And if you had a tummy tuck, obviously the incisions in the lower abdomen, so you might think, why is it uncomfortable all the way up here? um and so that's why because those muscles are brought together every time you move you cough you um uh, sort of tensing that abdominus muscle uh and uh it's it's pulling on the stitches and going to be uncomfortable so yeah it's quite normal to have pain in that area uh and around the belly button after having a uh, rectoid diversification repair so that's uh very um, normal and uh, nothing to worry about and um Uh, it usually settles pretty well but it can be quite uncomfortable depending on how wide the diverification is obviously the wider it is the more tension there is more uncomfortable it is Um, but yeah that's a normal uh, part of the healing process of a tummy tuck um what you got being on it i have a 10 inch scar from botched gallbladder removal surgery can you make this neater when doing an fdl how do you make a neater scar i heal well um so, yes. Uh, so one thing I would say is often, uh, uh, as I say, your abdomen and, and, and places like that don't tend to scar quite so well as other parts of the body. So if you have a scar that you don't like, what the we would really be saying is, what don't you like? And uh, you might think, what are you all about? It's a scar. Get rid of it. I'm like, no one can get rid of the scar. So you're never going to have a scar being removed. If we do surgery, we're only going to give you another scar, and we've got to hope our scar is better than the old old scar. So, uh, so how do you make a neater scar? Well, um, one thing is when you're doing gallbladder surgery or whatever, orthopedic surgery, or whatever your focus is often on other things. You focus on getting the gallbladder out, doing the hernia repair, doing the hip replacement, whatever. So they're not as focused on the scar as perhaps we would be. But also, as I say, scars on that area often do stretch a bit, do look a bit red, do not look great. So sometimes you might say to you, look, that's normal for the scar in that area. So it might not. It might be that we're not able to make a neater to scar. Um, if there's a particular problem with the scar, as I say, if it's stretched quite a lot, there's particularly there's problems with the healing, if it's dented in uh, or if it's raised up, you know those are the sort of things we might be able to do something to maybe um, fix that to try and if it's dented in bring some tissue underneath, if it's bumped up maybe use some steroid to dampen it down and make it a bit less um, bumped up. If it's stretched bring it together and maybe put some deeper stitches in to try and hold it together to stop it from stretching again. No guarantee it might all go back to how it did before um but it, if um if there's something specific about it there might be things we can do to to give you a different scar which hopefully will be preferable to your current scar but that is always the worry about doing a scar revision but we just give you another scar that actually ends up looking similar and to be fair that that uh, that that can happen uh, and obviously it's a bit distressing because people think oh he's a plastic surgeon he's gonna, gonna do a great job and then you, you do your scar revision and it looks similar to the original one. It's like, so now, you know, we have to sort of be realistic with you and say, look, you know what, it might look similar. That's not actually a bad scar. That's often what scars look like on on the, uh, on the abdomen. So, um, yeah, don't want to be too negative. Realistic, that's what we're trying to be. And sorry, I've had, I've had muscle repair because of the 10-inch scar from belly button to breast bone. Belly button to breast bone, got it. Would you do a muscle repair again if it wasn't a good repair before emergency surgery before um no so muscle okay so i don't know what muscle repair you've had so as i say what we tend to do we do call it muscle repair we do use those words muscle repair but really it's not really muscle repair it's bringing those muscles closer together so it's bringing the rectus muscles to to closer together if they're wide so i guess if your muscles are wide then yes we would bring them together but um i don't know you're saying it's not a very good repair i don't i don't know so that does that mean you've got a diverification again you've got a bulge above your belly button so if you've got a bulge then yeah yeah you could you could do it again for sure but if you if it's not if the muscles aren't apart because what happens is you bring them together with stitches and then it scars together uh and it, and it kind of stays together so um And if you had a lot of surgery before, there might be quite a lot of scar there. So it actually might be quite hard to bring it together. It's quite unforgiving if there's a lot of scar there. So basically assess it and see if there's still a a, a diversification there. But we wouldn't do a muscle repair again just because you're having surgery done again in the area. We'd have a look and see if you need uh, the muscles to be brought back together again. Um, We're not really repairing them. We're just kind of bringing them closer together. Although we we do use the term repair. Perhaps we shouldn't. Having lost ten stone, the scar—well, the scar cuts my fat in half. Yeah, I don't care for this guy. Yeah, that's so. It's a, yeah, that's often the problem with the up—is it? It's an up-down scar. I'm, 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 I'm saying, thinking. So, yeah, it can sort of, yeah, do that, be dented in and cause a. Oh, were you saying something about FDL earlier? Uh, when doing an FDL, so yeah. So if you've already got a midline scar and you have got laxity in a side-to-side direction, that might be a, a, a reason to have a flirly. Um, particularly if you have got a bad scar and it's dented in, because it's going to be hard to pull it down with a normal um, tummy tuck. So that might be actually quite a good indication for a fleur-de-lis if you've got a dented in up and down scar. So uh, it uh, it would be because if you try and pull it down, it's got no give in it; it doesn't really move. So uh, and losing ten stones fantastic. Well done, that's amazing. Uh, and you you know you would well just on that alone be in this realms of the sort of person who would have a, a bigger op than a, uh, a standard tummy tuck so you a flirtly would be an option and yes uh, if you have a midline scar that you don't like a flirtly would get rid of it and give you a new midline scar and we would just have to try and make sure we stitch it up so we get some fat underneath the scar so it doesn't dent in again so uh, that's what we do to try and make them neat to try and make them not um, dent in and and, and and not look good so a lot of the time when you're training to be a plastic surgeon is about tissue handling making sure you don't be too, too, don't traumatize the tissues too much and trying to make the scar nice and neat and even and, at and the wound edges to try and give you the best possible uh, chance to get a good scar but even with all that said um, scars on the abdomen particularly the up down scar can be a little bit obvious so um, but I think, you, uh, on paper, you would be a good uh, a good candidate for a uh, fleur to get rid of that dented-in up-and-down scar, um, and that, albeit giving you a new one, but hopefully not dented-in. Uh, and uh, have a look at the muscles to see if they need repairing. But as I say, they wouldn't ne- necessarily definitely need it. We'd have a look at it and probably examine you in, th- in uh, clinic to see if you've got a, uh, dis- uh, a distance between your ectus muscles. You can examine yourself. Lift your head and shoulders up off the bed. And hold there or lift do a straight leg waist both legs and just hold there between your belly button you have a look see if you get a bulge come up um that would be a way to find out uh, well done on the weight loss and uh yeah our, our plus well i'm out i'm declaring myself out so um sorry about to my facebook fans uh both of you um sorry about the problems at the beginning uh, and hoping the uh, technical team have managed to sort out the crackly nature of the microphone. Instagram is never a problem; because it's still on the phone, so that's always always worked. But it falls off because my tripod's broken. But apart from that, um, so I will be back next week. I'm pretty sure. Thank you, V and her VSG. Can I just call you V? Don't know if I call you V. Um, you're very welcome, V. Uh, I'll be back next week, I think. it's half term week after next i discovered not next week half Mm term week after next so um probably won't be on then so save that up for next week uh got any questions call me and i will see you uh seven o'clock uh i hope you have a lovely evening and um yeah keep up the good work jackie is staunch supporter thanks a question not covered in today's show, then send it over to info at using the hashtag #AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.